0: Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We're not a church with elders, we're a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder, before making your nomination. Or, if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you for your participation and help.
1: Doing well? I'm so glad that y'all are here worshiping with us. Thanks so much for coming out and worshiping with us. My name is Aaron Parks, and I serve on the Family Ministries team here at Fellowship, and I'm just really grateful uh, to get to worship and to get to celebrate Advent together with y'all. And those of y'all watching online, thanks so much for joining us in your homes or wherever you may be and worshiping with us. I've got a few things I wanna tell you about this morning. The first thing is the gift. The gift is kind of a tradition here at Fellowship. Uh, we've been doing it the last, I don't know how many years, and it's just an opportunity that we have if we're looking for ways that we can give towards the end of the year. It's an it's a opportunity we have to do that, and with the gift, the elders, they take the money that's given specifically for the gift, and they distribute this to local ministries and to global ministries, Uh, just all over the world and all over Northwest Arkansas. And so it's an awesome opportunity that our church has had to help support some partner ministries um, just all around the world. And so if you're interested in that, you can uh, go on our website and see more about giving to the gift. Another way that you can be involved in what's going on here in our community is through Potter's House. Uh, Potter's House Christmas is coming up this next Sunday. And if you would love to get involved with that, Uh, You can go to their website and see ways that you can sign up to uh, help out with Potter's House Christmas next Sunday. Uh, And if you don't know, Potter's House is an organization here in Fayetteville that is seeking to uh, just strengthen and connect our community across socioeconomic and cultural lines. And they're doing some awesome stuff here in Fayetteville and all over Northwest Arkansas. And so a great way to get involved with them is to get involved with Potter's House Christmas, which is happening Uh, Next Sunday, so you can go to their website and see ways that you can sign up to either give or help volunteer, set things up, or there's just a lot of different ways you can get involved if you want. So you can you can check that out. I've got here some Advent resources, so if you are looking for a way to engage with Advent with your family, uh, we've got a few resources. Now, I will say, the response has been a lot better than we thought it would be, and so there's literally like five of these left, and they're on a table out there, and so uh, there's actually another way to get these as well, and so if you're interested, uh, this has a daily reading plan that matches the reading plan for uh, the adults. And you can just read this with your family, discuss some of the questions. There's some prayers in here. It's a great way to engage with your family during Advent. Now, if you have one of these books, I just encourage you to use it. And if you don't, like I said, there's literally, I just put four more on that table out there. That's the last ones I could find. Uh, you can grab one of those or you can follow us on Instagram at Fayette Kids and you can download a PDF of this. And so uh, you can, if you don't get your hands on one of these books, you can still um, engage with this. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 145, four, and I wanna read it for you. It says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And as I read this verse, I see the generations commending God's works or proclaiming his greatness to one another, not just older to younger, but younger to older, and each generation seeing what God is doing and encouraging one another with this. And a quick story, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting back there in the back with my family, my four boys, and they're spread out everywhere. They've got crayons and cars and all kinds of stuff. And I look up and right across, like four rows in front of me, there's a four year old little girl. And in the middle of a couple of these worship songs, there's a lady sitting one row behind her and she's praising Jesus. She is loving and worshiping Jesus. And this little girl is just standing there like this, watching her and taking it in. And this little girl then turns around and there's a younger woman in her early 20s doing the same thing right in front of her. And the faith formation for this little girl as she sees other generations around her worshiping Jesus, that is helping her love Jesus more and that is what the body of Christ does. And so I just wanna encourage you that as we worship in here, there are six living generations in this room right now. That's an incredible thing. And God has brought us together to worship and to proclaim his acts and commend his works to one another. And so I just wanna encourage you that that's happening and that your worship isn't just about you, it's about the body of Christ, it's about the church. So as you worship, you're proclaiming and commending God's works to the rest of us in here. So as we worship together, that's my encouragement, love Jesus. And as you do that, know that we're loving one another together. So will y'all pray with me, Jesus. We're so grateful for your love for us. Thank you that we can worship you together. And father, I'm so grateful that we have so many generations in this room and that we get a chance to worship you together. So may we celebrate peace today in Advent. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.
2: We walk in darkness
3: see the light of morning. The mighty God, the Prince of Peace, a child to us
2: is born. Behold Oh
3: what he brings
4: We think we could achieve peace without our God. We counted our armies, manufactured our weapons, trained our hands for fighting. We told ourselves peace is something won by power. But every time the sun goes down on one more, the restless night is interrupted by the dawn of new battles forming on the horizon. Our strength is sapped our enemies countless God don't you see won't you vindicate us we are waiting for you what have we done we are so tired but you are Yahweh creator eternal God you see us when our strength is gone you lift us up You empower us. We are renewed at the very thought of you. We soar with eagles' wings because of your love. We could run forever and never find the end of you. Anxious hearts are stilled. We find ourselves disarmed. Peace. We surrender our lives to your wisdom. Peace. You have overcome.
3: Would you stand with us this morning? Let's sing this out together.
2: God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing
3: flesh and dwelt among us, that's why we celebrate Christmas, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was Before And so this morning, we light the Advent candle of peace. We remind ourselves of the verse in Isaiah 26 that says, he keeps those in perfect peace whose mind is set on him. And so for the rest of the morning, as this candle is lit, when you look at it, it's a reminder to keep our minds on him because he's the one who gives peace. He truly is our light. Sing this together, glory in the
2: highest. Who dwell in us?
3: So God, we give it to you. Lord, we trust that you are the Prince of Peace. We trust that you are peace. And so, Father, would you teach us from your word this morning that we may keep our eyes and our minds fixed on you in a season where we need direction more than ever. and We need peace more than ever, and you're the giver of that, and you are peace, Father. So we look to you and we trust you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Can grab a seat. Well,
5: it is so great just to be together, together in this room, together online with those of you joining us on the live stream. It just feels good to be with God's people virtually or face to face. I'm a people person. I get energy from being with people. And so being a community pastor is kind of a dream job for me. One of my favorite things, one of the things I really enjoy in my role as a community pastor is meeting with couples who are about to get married. It is so fun. It's so fun to sit across the table from them as they look at me so earnestly and tell me how they have no communication issues. (laughs) To hear how they see eye to eye on every subject and how there's nothing about their prospective spouse that gets on their nerves in any way. My wife's laughing a little too hard at that. Yeah, the married people are laughing and the engaged people are getting nervous. There's a reality check coming for them. And one of the things that we talk about, if I'm gonna do the wedding, we talk about the service. What are we gonna do in the service? What are we gonna do as far as vows? Are we gonna take communion, that kind of thing? And I always give the groom, the prospective groom, the same advice, I tell them, she's gonna give you a lot of choices in the days ahead. As y'all plan this wedding, she's gonna do a lot of, do you like this one or that one? Do you like this flower or that flower? And the correct answer, no matter what she sets in front of you is, which one do you like? Right? Even if they look the same. And if she presses you for an answer, you just pick one and then be ready to agree with her that the, actual, the other one actually probably is better. But under no circumstances, and I always tell them this, under no circumstances are you to say, I don't care. You can't say, I don't care, because you do care. Just because you can't see the difference between bone and ivory doesn't mean you don't care. You care, you want her to have the wedding of her dreams. And when we say, I don't care, that communicates something. It communicates this thing that's important to you, it's beneath my notice. I can't be bothered to have an opinion about this, no matter how important it is to you. And it's painful, it's painful when someone doesn't care about something we care about. It's a charge politicians don't want leveled at them, right? People say it all the time. You don't care about the environment. You don't care about business. You don't care about my personal freedom. No politician wants to be seen as uncaring. And I'm a sports fan, and let me tell you, there's nothing worse than when we think our team doesn't care. Don't you hate that? Because as a fan, you do care. And so if the athletes don't care, man, that really bothers you. It reminds me of the old joke where the coach said to the player, son, I can't tell if you're ignorant or apathetic. And the player said, coach, I don't know, and I don't care. (laughs) But how much worse How much worse if we think God doesn't care? If we think God sees something that's important to us or worse, something that's hurting us, and he just looks away because he doesn't care. That's where we're going to find the nation of Israel as we continue our Advent series. Today we're going to be back in the book of Isaiah. Go ahead and turn there with me if you would. Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to finish the chapter that Mickey introduced last week in our first week of our Advent series. Well, my name's Michael. As I said, I'm one of the community pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And doesn't it just feel good to be in Advent? It just feels good to be up here in this Winter wonderland. Last week, somebody said fellowship doesn't even have a tree. Oh, we got trees. (laughs) In a year where everything's been turned upside down, in a year where all our normal rhythms have just been wiped away, doesn't it feel good to be in Advent and singing Christmas carols and anticipating the birth of our king? Now, as y'all know, Advent means coming in Latin. And so during this time of the year, we remember what it was like when people were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And we remind ourselves that yes, the King came, Jesus, and he's coming again. Just like they were waiting for him to be born, now we're waiting for him to return. And this year, we're spending our Advent season in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's the Old Testament book that has more to say about his first advent and his second advent than any other Old Testament book. And the book of Isaiah is really interesting when you look at it. It mirrors the Bible in a lot of ways. Just as the Bible has 66 books, Isaiah has 66 chapters. And as you know, the Bible has a major break. There are 39 books They make up the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the story of Israel's inability to keep the law, their failure before God, and it creates the need for a savior. Similarly, the first 39 books, or 39 chapters, I'm sorry, of Isaiah point to a need for a savior. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah describe a nation failing, and it predicts impending judgment. Then we have a 27 book New Testament that's the story of Jesus and how he came to redeem and rescue mankind and reign and rule on the earth as king. Likewise, the last 27 chapters of Isaiah beginning in chapter 40 where we are. Tell us about this coming king and how he'll save people from their sins and reign and rule on the earth. This next comparison seems especially powerful during Advent season. The New Testament begins with the story of John the Baptist. Matthew 3 tells us how John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus. Similarly, Isaiah 40, the section that we're in that we looked at just last week, predicts the ministry of John the Baptist. Not only do they begin the same way, they end the same way. The Bible ends in Revelation describing the new heaven and the new earth. Similarly, Isaiah 66, Isaiah ends the book describing the new heaven and the new earth. This incredible book, Isaiah, it gives us such a clear picture of Jesus. Maybe that's why it's the most quoted book by New Testament authors. I mean, Isaiah foretold that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Isaiah described how Jesus would come not only to the Jews, but be a light to the Gentiles. In the suffering servant passages, Isaiah described the suffering and sacrificial death of Jesus, as well as his victorious resurrection. And then Isaiah gives us a really clear picture of Jesus who would reign and rule on the earth. And here's the most amazing thing to me of all of it. Isaiah was written seven times years before Jesus was born. 700 years before one word of the New Testament was written. Isaiah predicted all of this. And by the way, his name, Isaiah, it means Yahweh, or the Lord, is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. So with all of that in mind, let's pick it up in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be in verse 27. 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right disregarded by my God. Now remember, as Mickey told us last week, Isaiah is writing to a future Israel, to a time when Israel would be in exile. And notice that he calls them Jacob and Israel. Now, part of that is for emphasis. It's for poetic effect. It's a little bit like when your mom says your name twice, but the second time she uses your middle name, it gets your attention. That's a little bit of what he's doing here, but I think there's something else at work. Do you remember the biblical story of Jacob? Jacob was Abraham's grandson. So Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. His son Isaac had twin sons. And the second one was Jacob. And Jacob was kind of a trickster. He had some shenanigans in his life, including stealing the birthright and the blessing of God from his brother. And so he had to flee the promised land because his brother was after him. In other words, he was in exile, removed from the land. And it was only when he returned to the land and humbled himself before God and actually wrestled with God that God blessed him and changed his name to Israel. And now here's Isaiah writing to his descendants, the descendants of Jacob, in exile outside the promised land, and he's reminding them of that whole story with that simple phrase, O Jacob, O Israel. And look what they're saying. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. In other words... God doesn't see what's happening to me, or worse, he doesn't care. And if we're honest, if we're honest, we've all said that. Oh, maybe our mama's raised us better than to say it out loud, but in our hearts, we've said, God, do you even care? Alone, In our sorrow, in our loneliness, in our fear, we've wondered, does God care? As a little experiment for this morning, I googled the phrase, does God care? And I got 1.2 billion, with a B, 1.2 billion hits. Yeah, people are definitely wondering, If God cares. And so in our passage, here are God's chosen people ripped out of their homeland, being oppressed by an invading nation, and they're asking, Does God see? Does God care? And Isaiah is going to give them an answer, and the answer is theological, because the answer is remember who God is. Look at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah says, oh, have you not heard about the Lord? Now remember, every time you see Lord in all all caps in your Old Testament, that's your English translator's way of letting you know that the Hebrew word there is Yahweh. God's covenant promise-keeping name that he gave to Israel, Yahweh. It's the name he told Moses at the burning bush. It means I am. Isaiah says, haven't you heard about Yahweh? Don't you know about the great covenant-keeping I am? He's the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. That's a figure of speech. It's called a merism. We still use them today. If somebody says, I've been working day and night, they mean I've been working all the time. When Isaiah says he's the creator of the ends of the earth, he means everything. The great creator God of ours. He doesn't get tired and he doesn't get confused. There's no end to his understanding Isaiah says, remember who you're talking about when you say, does God care? And you see how exalted God is in this passage, how unlike us he is. Look what Isaiah says about God and think about it in relation to us. We're time bound, but God's eternal. We're localized. We always say, well, it can't be two places at once. God's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's Omnipresent. He's always everywhere. And we get tired and weary. But God never needs a B12 shot. He never needs five hour energy because He's the source of all energy. And we get confused. We get to the end of our knowledge and we just don't understand anymore. But God's knowledge and understanding is limitless because He's omnipotent. And so this God of ours is transcendent. And some people believe a God. Who's so transcendent, so great that he can't be bothered with trifling human affairs. In other words, a God who's too great to care. But that's not the God Isaiah is gonna depict for us. No, Isaiah is gonna show us a God who's too great to not care. Because he isn't just powerful, he actually shares that power with people who need it most. Look at verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might. He increases strength. He gives power to the weak. And when we're completely tapped out, when we just feel like we can't go on, he gives us strength. He's actually gonna say later to the Apostle Paul, my strength is perfected in your weakness. When we get to the end of ourselves, that's when we can really see God at work. Now, we all think We can do it on our own. We all think we're strong enough. Look at verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. He says even the young guys will wear out. But it's those who wait who wait for the, there it is again, the Lord Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God who created everything. Those who wait for him will see their strength renewed. And that Hebrew word that's translated renewed is really interesting. It has the idea of an exchange. It's the same word that's used in Hebrew for changing clothes. You exchange your dirty clothes for clean clothes. And in this case, we trade our weakness for God's strength. And isn't this the opposite of what our culture tells us? I mean, think about it, your whole life, every Disney movie, every after-school special, every inspirational poster, it's all told you the same thing. You can do it, the strength is within you. If you just be true to yourself and reach deep, you can overcome. It was interesting, this week, as I was just thinking a lot about this passage and meditating on it and talking to the Lord about it, I heard this advice columnist on the radio. And she said, my message is that life is a struggle, but we all have the capacity to overcome it. That's not a biblical message. And in my opinion, It's not a helpful message because if we all have the capacity to overcome it, but you're fainting, you're falling, you're failing, the problem must be with you because if everybody else has the strength to overcome it and you don't, you're the damaged one. But that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The biblical message is, We can't do it. Even the young men, the fittest among us, the athletes, the Green Berets, the special forces, they will faint. They will fall out exhausted. He's speaking metaphorically, of course, to say at some point, all of us will be weary. And I noticed that word weary is used three times in the passage. And so I took a closer look at it. In the Hebrew, it has this idea of of toil, of laboring to the point of exhaustion. But what one commentator said really caught my eye. He said, in the Hebrew, it has the idea of being overwhelmed by circumstances. And don't we all feel that sometimes? Actually, haven't we all felt that in the last nine months? just overwhelmed by everything that's going on in the world and in our lives. Of course we have. And the point of the passage is everyone gets there. At some point, everyone feels overwhelmed, but not God. God's never overwhelmed. And so the answer is not to look inside ourselves. It's to look to God. And to exchange our weariness for his strength. And then Isaiah gives us this incredible word picture. He says, we shall mount up on wings like eagles. Now, personally, I love a screaming eagle on the hood of a Trans Am. One of my goals in life is to own a car with a bird on it. But a soaring eagle is even better Oh, a soaring eagle is so beautiful. And does that beautiful bird look like he's working? Like he's fighting it? No. He's just catching those thermal drafts and allowing them to lift him higher and higher. And that's the picture Isaiah has in mind here. He doesn't say, when you're at the end of your strength, Flap your arms even harder and maybe you'll get off the ground. He says, when you're at the end of your strength, you can soar like an eagle if you let the Lord carry you along. And I'm gonna admit something. The first time I read this passage, it kind of threw me off because it says you can fly like an eagle. You can run and not be weary or you can walk and you won't faint. I'm like, well, that's anticlimactic. Who wants to run or walk if I can fly like an eagle? But the more I thought about it, the more I realized what Isaiah's is really saying here. Yes, there are times in life when God supplies our strength and we fly. Maybe we call those mountaintop experiences. And you know what? Usually in our lives, they come during those really hard times. Those really hard times when we feel like we just aren't going to make it. But we look back and we realize God just carried us like an eagle. And we remember those times forever. But they're rare. And so there are times that we run. Paul often used running as a metaphor for the Christian life. And on our team here, we say to each other all the time, remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so there are seasons in life where we feel like we're running, we're straining for the prize, we're in the race. But day in and day out, we're walking. I mean, think about real life. Whether you're changing a tire or changing a diaper, are you like, man, I'm soaring? No. When you're sitting in silence with your spouse because you've had an argument and no one wants to say anything next? When you're laying in bed wondering how you're gonna pay your bills? Do you feel like you're mounted up on wings like eagles? This is the time of year every year when I have my annual cardiology visit. And I'm gonna tell y'all, When I'm sitting in that little room on that little table with that paper gown on and I'm waiting on them to come in with test results, I'm not like, (laughs) eagle. But you know what I am doing? As a follower of Christ, I'm walking. I'm walking with Jesus. All of us are, if we're followers of Jesus, we're walking with Christ through all these circumstances. And according to this passage, he will give us the strength to just keep walking. We won't be overwhelmed by our circumstances, but we'll be able to continue. And that's how this connects to Advent, to Christmas. Earlier, we lit this Advent candle of peace. And where does our peace come from? It comes from the presence of God himself. When Isaiah says, those who wait wait, He's not talking about waiting room waiting. He's not saying, play on your phone and read a two-year-old issue of Better Homes and Gardens. He's saying, actively look for God at work. Trust him in every circumstance and be patient enough to wait on his perfect timing. In Isaiah 26.3, the prophet says, you, God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And this God, this God who offers peace to those who wait, to those who trust, he would come to planet Earth in the form of a baby and he would be born in a manger. 700 years after Isaiah wrote this, the apostle Paul would write, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, in the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus. Peace is available to us because of Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah looked forward into time, and he saw a time when God's people would cry out in exile, but he looked beyond that to a time when God himself would take on human form and be born in a manger and come to earth to bring peace. And so in this Advent season, we remember the promises of God and we remember that Jesus came and fulfilled them. And during this crazy year, when at times we've wondered, God, where are you? Do you even care? We're reminded that he has come. He is with us through the Holy Spirit, and he's coming again. And so I want us to take just a moment here at the end of our teaching time, just a moment to confess to the Lord those places where we're laboring in our own strength rather than allowing his power to carry us along. And then I want us to celebrate what we have in Jesus The God of peace came to earth and was born in a manger. And because of what he accomplished on our behalf on the cross, we can have peace with God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be strengthened when we're weak and find peace no matter what our circumstance. Let's pray. Well, Lord, in this quiet moment, I pray that you would reveal to us those places where, Lord, we're laboring in our own strength. Those places where we're not trusting you and allowing your power to work. Lord, thank you that you sent your son to be born in a manger, to live the life we could never live, to die the death we deserved, and to be raised from the dead, securing victory. And, Lord, whenever we start to doubt, whenever our strength begins to fail, help us remember Help us wait, help us trust, help us hope. And Lord, give us the ability to exchange for our weakness, your strength, our exhaustion for your energy. Because it's in you we find our peace.
2: We will find our peace. We will find our peace. We will find our peace in you. Peace. We will find our peace. We will find our peace. We will find our peace in you. Peace. We will find our peace. We We will find
3: brings comfort and joy in this morning. If you need comfort in this season, to my left here, right is our prayer room. We'd love to spend some time praying with you. We'd also love to celebrate with you the joyful things going on in your life. And so come to the prayer room this morning. Hear this verse from 2 Thessalonians as we leave from here. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with all of you. Fellowship faithful, we love you. Let's keep our eyes on our Prince of Peace this week. God bless you.